Mover Nation, you guys all know how I lead a really busy life, right? And I know we could all use a little more relaxation. Now, whether you're trying to chill out or just need a good night's rest, Next Evo's CBD will be your best friend. But, and this is big, not all CBD products are created equal. Shockingly, a study found that many CBD brands contain as little as 60% of what their labels promise. I've been trying out Next Evo Naturals and Movers. It's the real deal. And their commitment? Well, it's giving you exactly what's on the label. Remember, they've undergone four clinical trials, a feat unmatched by any other brand of CBD. Now, I personally adore their Stress CBD Complex Gummies. When I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed, they are a total game changer. And those nights when sleep is all too elusive for me, the triple action CBD sleep does absolute wonders. Leave summer stress behind and upgrade your CBD. Go to nextevo.com forward slash MPT to get 25% off plus a free bottle of premium pure CBD, a $50 value limit one use per customer. That's nextevo.com slash MPT. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. I thought everything was fine, right? She's she's breathing. Um, thank God. And then I noticed that uh, she wasn't blinking. She was staring straight up at the sky, and um, there was nothing. Uh, these short, labored breaths and no blinking at all, no, no eye movement. I went from begging her to breathe to begging her to blink. Both of us, my, myself and the neighbor, were just, you know, trying to talk to her, trying to get her to blink. Corey Foster had called 911. We heard the sirens off in the distance. They immediately got to work on, on Katie. I heard them talking about the helicopter. They asked me if I got hit. I was laying right next to her. I said I did. And then they put me on a gurney, took me to an ambulance. That was the last time I saw Katie that day. Hi, survivors. I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad Podcast. Yay, another episode. Another episode. And this is a <laughs> this this is a doozy of an episode. Yeah. But before we get into that, it has been an interesting week, hasn't it, Tara? Oh, yes. We had an article come out. Marisol was barking at me just now. Yes, we had an article <laughs> in People Magazine. <laughs> we had uh, Marisol, who has been with you now for a week and a half, because I had my place was, um, had the, the, like the tub redone. So it was like the toxic fumes. So you took Marisol. And then we had a hurricane here in Southern California. <laughs> so you couldn't bring her back to me safely because the roads were so treacherous because it was flash flooding and it was gnarly. And um, and then tomorrow we leave for True Crime and, and True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival in Austin, Texas. Yes, I'm really excited for Austin, Texas. That's where I went when I had my healing journey at the beginning, after my attack. It was a great place just to go and be with nature and then find a therapist and just do all that healing work. So if you ever need to just go somewhere, go to Austin, go do that healing journey. I've never been to Austin, Texas, as you know. Oh, really? Yeah, I've told you this before. Yeah. And it's really weird because, you know, the epicenter of the film and, and creative industry is like South by Southwest. And I've never been to South by Southwest, which is really odd. And um, I don't know, it's just one of those festivals I have. I've been to so many other film festivals, but just not that one. And um, yeah, so I'm excited to go. I don't typically think of the outdoors and nature when I think of Austin. Is Austin like a nature place? Oh my goodness. There's these springs. I forget where it's called, but it's called like, um, it's by like New Braunfels or something like that. And it's this spring you could go in. It's gorgeous they also have barton springs pool which uh -huh. is like a natural pool it's amazing it's five acres i did a lot of research on this the other day <laughs> yes you have put a whole itinerary together for us in google drive 
which I've noticed. Yes. For people that don't know, I'm not type A at all, but when it comes to planning, I'm very type A. Yes, I will second that for sure. <laughs> when you're like, so what time are we doing this? I'm like, I don't know. Um, that's tomorrow. Can I get through the next hour? And you're like, okay. And I'm a very type A person, I think, right? You've told me this before. At times, like I think you like can lay back too and relax, but you all, you are also pandantic about things as we learned what that word was before. Pedan pedantic, yes. Uh -huh. I am very, I can be very <laughs> pedantic, but I, yeah, I guess I'm laid back. I don't really know what type A means to be quite honest with you. So like, I don't know anything about personality types or all that stuff. I just, I'm just who I am. And I try to be the best human being that I can be. But yeah. yes, you often will be like, okay, so what time is this happening? What? And I'm just like, uh, uh, like that's tomorrow. I can't think about it. Like, I'm glad you want to plan it, but yeah. So you've got an itinerary. We're going to do some cool stuff in Austin. I'm very excited about the barbecue. Oh, yes. We're going to try to go to Black's Barbecue. There's no try. It's do or do not. There is no try, as Yoda would say. Okay. We are going to a good barbecue place because if I'm going to go and ruin my diet with Texas disgusting food, calorie-laden food rather, not disgusting. I'm gonna gorge myself on barbecue. There's a place that we're gonna go to eat, it's called Perry's Steakhouse, right? Where they have like yes. a, seven, a seven finger pork chop, which is insane to me. I've never seen this before. Wait, what's like a seven finger pork chop? I don't know, but it's like seven fingers high, but your hand only has five fingers, so you've gotta do one hand, and then, and well half? actually you have four fingers and then three fingers, so you'd have to do, this weird sort of thing. I don't know. It's <laughs> called a seven finger pork chop. And, I was doing no it the other way. Seven fingers, seven fingers, no thumbs. But speaking of being in Austin, Texas, and our next case is from Austin, Texas, and we will be seeing this gentleman and hearing his story again in person. But uh, our guest today is John Palmer. Yes. And, you know, he lives on the outskirts a little bit. Um, I don't think it's necessarily close to Austin, uh, but he will for sure be there with the entire crew um, advocating for his wife, Katie Palmer. And this has honestly been, I know Eric's episode was very hard and Eric will be there too, but I cried so much during this episode, just even editing it, because there's something when you lose that person, that soulmate in a sense, I just felt for him. Yeah, I mean, I was crying during the episode when we were interviewing him. I think we both were. It was, uh, you know, it's... I think for me, I, it hits home for me because it's the, you know, it's a mother, you know, that the kids have lost a mother. He's lost, you know, the love of his life. And it's just so, it just doesn't make any sense. It's, and I think that's the thing that gets me all the time about violent crime is it's so senseless. And this is just even more senseless because of alcohol, like yeah. it's just insane. And then the justice that he's been trying to see. But you know what? It's his story. It's Katie's story. It's about her and finding justice for her. So let's get into John Palmer's interview. What do you say? Yes, let's get to know about Katie Palmer. Was he, you know, what was going on? Nine, 911 was called. Um, first responders came out. Uh, they started immediately working on Katie and I. And then Corporal Tarif Al-Khatib, uh, who at that time was uh, just a trooper. Uh, but since then, he's been pr promoted twice. He's, he's now a corporal. Uh, corporal Tarif Al-Khatib um, showed up on site. Um, Spoke with Corey. So we got we got hit at approximately 7.45 a.m. DPS, um, Trooper Tarif Alkatib showed up at 8.15. So 
30 minutes after, okay? Al-Khatib shows up, talks to the paramedics briefly, and I mean briefly, talks to me, asks me what happened. Um, again, I never lost consciousness throughout this uh, entire ordeal. I told them where we were walking and uh, that um, Corey hit us from, from, from behind, okay? Uh, Al-Khatib then went to go talk to Corey Foster. And within about three or four minutes of talking to Corey, he started to comment that he could smell alcohol on his breath strongly, strongly. He was standing probably three or four feet away. Um, mentioned numerous times that he could smell the alcohol. Asked him when he stopped drinking how much he had to drink. Uh, Corey's story changed numerous times, said he had nothing to drink that day. Uh, he stopped drinking uh, that previous day around seven, then it was eight, then it was nine. Then he had no clue when he stopped drinking, said he only had five drinks. Um, so there was a field sobriety test um, performed on Corey. Corey walked a straight line. Um, he did a horizontal gaze test and then did a one-legged stand. Um, and then after he did those tests, he blew into a portable breathalyzer test, a PBT. And 50 he minutes. Blew a, he blew a what? A point? I, no, I'm, I, I was fixing oh, to get, oh. get right, right to that. Um, so after he did these tests, um, the officer, Tarif Alkatib, administered a PBT, which is a portable breathalyzer test. In 50 minutes after he hit us, he blew a point zero six. Oh, so he he just like barely went under the legal limit. But fifty minutes after, so where was he? Fifty minutes before, right? Yeah. Again, thirty minutes had passed since um, impact, and when the officer showed up, and then another twenty minutes passed from the officer being on scene to when he um, gave Corey the breathalyzer. So it was at a point zero six. Had Corey ever had a history of alcohol usage and and driving while intoxicated before? He has um, he has had infractions in in the past, uh, speeding, uh, DWIs that were pled down to PIs as well as reckless driving. So he was already once convicted of a DW driving while intoxicated, is what you guys call it. Then it was pled down. Correct. Correct. It was a D DWI that was played down to a, to a PI. Yes. If I remember correctly, yes. In California, if you have a driving under the influence charge mm -hmm. and you get it pled down, you have to sign and agree in the court which is called, to what's called the Watson advisement, which is, I believe is a case. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but essentially it means if you ever get into a motor vehicle again and you are impaired and you get into an accident like somebody T-bones you, mm -hmm. you run over someone in a crosswalk, <laughs> you, somebody jumps out in front of the car and you can, I mean, it, unfortunately, but you know, if you have any substances in your system, like they can tell you're high on marijuana or you have any alcohol, any measurable amount of alcohol in your blood, which is over 0 0.00, you will go to prison for murder or attempted murder. Like it's, it's, it's just not a good scene. So, Obviously, this is something that is not does not exist in Texas. No, and um, in fact, the lead investigating officer, who we would later find out is a family friend of Corey Foster's, um, was was even asked by other troopers on scene if they were going to take him to go get a blood test. Okay, and Tarif Alkatib refused. Not only did he refuse to uh, go take Corey to get a blood test, but he loaded Corey Foster up in his unit and drove him home. Which is what you do with someone after they hit someone you know. You just drop off at home, like have good night. It was That's crazy. It was it was crazy to see that on the body camera footage. Um, and as he was loading Corey up into his unit, he turned off his body camera 
and turned off all the audio and video recording devices in the unit and drove him home. Um, that's how Corey that Foster standard? was treated that, that day. No, it's not. Is standard that standard practice? No. And <laughs> we've, I've, I've actually met with the chief of the highway patrol and, um, uh, for, for Texas. And I've spoke with numerous law enforcement officers, um, some current and former state troopers. And there has not been a single one outside of current DPS leadership, both at a local level and a state level, um, that have said that what Corey Foster did was acceptable. Um, everybody just shakes, shakes their head and uh, is in disbelief that an officer would be so cavalier on scene after, again, you've got somebody that is loaded up into a helicopter, flown to a trauma center. You've got another person who's driven to the ICU. Uh, you've got a motorist that blows a point zero six fifty minutes after, um, says he couldn't see, says he thought he hit a telephone pole, says that he probably shouldn't have been driving. And um, you don't get a blood test, even when other officers are saying you are going to get a blood test, right? No, we're not. We're not going going to. And then you load them up and you take take them home. That's um, that's nonsensical. And uh, that's an obstruction of justice. Yeah, so, I was going to say that's not nonsensical. That's corrupt. Oh, it it most absolutely is, <clears throat> um, and especially for an officer that has over ten years of experience. Um, there has not been another officer that we've spoke to or has come to speak to us that has said everything that Tariq Al-Khatib did that day was by the book because it wasn't. So Grayson County DA's office, right? Must have been a couple weeks later. Um, we had heard nothing, um, you know, Al-Khatib had reached out to me and had told me that because um, I asked him if he got a blood test, he said no, but that I should be happy uh, with the breathalyzer because the breathalyzer was at a 0 0.06. Little did I know that that breathalyzer is inadmissible in a criminal court here in, here in Texas. So uh, as far as a criminal court is concerned, there is no record of what his uh, blood alcohol level was. Um, he said that he finished his report and that the DA had it. So I reached out to the district attorney's office and spoke with our district attorney, Brett Smith. Um, Brett had made it seem like he was somewhat familiar with, with the case, but, um, I don't believe that he had personally had the file yet. Um, perhaps it was still, um, you know, in the upper, uh, levels of DPS being re reviewed and whatnot. So he hadn't had it, um, said that I probably knew more about the case than, than him, which, which is fair. And then, um, you know, as, as, as soon as they got the case, then they would reach out to me. Okay. Um, well, a couple weeks passed. We still hadn't heard anything at all. Right. So Katie's mom reached out to Brett Smith. Um, she called, the Grayson County District Attorney's Office. Brett was not there. Uh, no one knew anything about the case. She found his number on social media. Okay, she found his cell phone on a profile, I believe, on on Facebook. So she called them. That's her daughter, right? She wants to know what's going on, what's going to happen to the man that killed her daughter. Uh, she gets a hold of Brett and introduces herself, wants to know what the status is, and he berated her and told her that she is to never call an elected official on their cell phone and, um, you know, to, to never call him again on this cell phone and abruptly ended that conversation. Um, now, mind you, that's, that's an elected official who had his number on a, you know, public social media site. So you can only imagine how enraged that would make a mother, right? So Rhonda told our family, told her friends, and put this on Facebook. And so everybody in this community was angry. 
was mad. How how could this <laughs> this elected district attorney uh, treat somebody who's going through so much so bad? So the posts started to come out. Everybody was speaking out against Brett Smith, um, as they should have. And um, I got a call from Brett. And I'm waiting to find out what's happening, right? And the call I get from Brett Smith is not, hey, I got your case file. Um, we're looking into it. We are going to do everything we can to seek justice, right? That's what you would expect that you, you would hear. Instead, um, I got a lecture from Brett Smith about uh, Facebook, um, about how he's getting... Basically, he, he was getting a raw deal on Facebook and that it was unfair and um, didn't talk about my case, but asked that I contact those that were speaking out against him and um, I guess try to calm everybody down. Uh, threw me off guard. Um, we tried to um, we tried to move past that. Um, Hadn't heard nothing from that DA's office. Uh, we got more and more frustrated. Um, more posts were being made on Facebook. And I got a call from Brett Smith again uh, asking that um, we lay off him in, with regards to social media. So our district attorney was more, was more concerned with his image than he was actually doing his job, right, which is um, – promoting justice with, within the county. So then I finally got a phone call and we were able to meet with Brett Smith and uh, two of the prosecutors um, about two months later. So in, in June, I believe, June of 2020. And so these people had never met Katie before, right? Katie's mother, Rhonda, Katie's father, Tony, one of Katie's brothers, Logan, and I met with Brett Smith, um, Laura Wheeler, who's a prosecutor, and Don Hoover as well. Um, I started off the meeting by, I had printed out pictures of Katie, um, pictures of Katie and I, pictures of Katie and her kids, pictures of Katie and her mom, her dad, Katie and her brother's wedding. I wanted to introduce Katie to these people that have never met her. Um, the two prosecutors that were in the room, um, Hoover and Wheeler, looked at the pictures, listened to what I was saying. I was explaining each one, and uh, they would pass the pictures to Brett, and Brett refused to take them or look at them and said that, um, you know, he's seen all this on Facebook, and he doesn't want to, he's, he's seen all the pictures, um, and he's seen it all on Facebook and doesn't, didn't really understand what I was doing. Um, and I told him that he was going to have to wait. He was going to have to listen to everything I had, had, had to say first. So I introduced him to Katie. When we got done, <clears throat> Brett immediately went in on Rhonda, Katie's mom, again, on Facebook. Was very angry that, um, she was making these posts about him. And um, could not get over the fact that um, whatever image he thought he had was being uh, tarnished, right? Um, because we're, <laughs> you know, Rhonda's lost a daughter. I've lost a wife. Logan lost a sister. Tony lost a daughter. And I'm worried about your your damn image on social media, right? Um, I'm really, really concerned about that. So after... Brett got through with that rant. Um, he talked about our case and um, made statements like missteps were made in speaking about uh, Tarif Al-Khatib. Um, told us that Al-Khatib did not do a good job. Uh, it was a bad report. Um, he should have gotten blood. And this is our district attorney that's telling us this. I mean, this is the state attorney in our county that's saying that Law enforcement did not do their job that that day, right? Um, so that rooted really deep in us, you know, from the very beginning that 
DPS failed, and our district attorney is telling us DPS failed. Missteps were made, bad report, didn't collect evidence. He, he didn't mark the scene at all, which is crazy to me. Didn't mark the scene, uh, didn't take adequate pictures, um, didn't interview anybody out, out there. Um, basically just wrote this off as, um, you know, his buddy just had an accident, right? Um, not that, you know, his, his buddy was blind, drove three tenths of a mile, um, intoxicated and crossed over the roadway and hit two pedestrians. Um, so we left that meeting unsure about what was going to happen. Um, sorry, sorry. You said he crossed over the roadway. Did he make an illegal maneuver as well? He did. I mean, he was, he, again, we, we were walking on the correct side of the road. We were walking on the, we were walking alongside. The oh, he crossed the, the side. He, he crossed, crossed over. over he crossed lanes. He crossed lanes. And he, and he was never cited for that either. He was he never got nothing. cited He didn't get a ticket. He didn't get anything. Nothing. Nothing. Um, in fact, I mean, they, they let him get his loaded handguns out of his truck and like i said before Tarif loaded him up drove drove him home that's it after this meeting um carrie ashmore was the prosecutor that was assigned to our case i met with him um a couple times and this went to a grand grand jury went to a grand jury august 19th 2020 okay and um, I was able to testify, Tarif Al-Khatib testified, and DPS did not recreate the, the crash. So Grayson County had to hire a third-party firm to recreate the crash, okay? And that person was allowed to testify as well. This got no, no build. And there are many reasons behind that. Um, a grand jury in Texas consists of 12 jurors, right? Um, and you have to get nine affirmative votes in order to have a case true build, which means that the grand jury believes there's enough evidence for this to move forward to a trial. So we only had 10 jurors. One juror recused himself um, because I guess he, he knew either Corey or myself and another juror um, called in sick. Um, I asked Kerry Ashmore where the alternates were, and he shrugged his shoulders. Didn't know. Okay. The third-party report that was commissioned by Grayson County, um, that report wasn't finalized. So I, I, I don't know what the expert – that report was completed six days after the grand jury, and that report was damning against Corey Foster. Um, laid it out that he was negligent and reckless. And I wholeheartedly believe that if that grand jury had that completed report, that um, that's all the evidence that, that, that you needed there. In addition to that, I was told that um, the Grayson County District Attorney's Office would subpoena phone records, right? Um, the phone records weren't subpoenaed, so the phone records were not presented to the grand jury, okay? So we've got... Half the evidence that was presented to the grand jury and not even to a full grand jury to a grand jury of 10. Um, so it was no, no build. And then as soon as that was no build, I, I believe you could imagine that um, myself and my family were um, hypercritical, to say the least, of the district attorney's office. Right. This man that just killed Katie got away with it. And so we entered into a civil case against Corey Foster, um, which we are still currently going through, um, trial set. Are you able to submit these reports, uh, this, the, the, that was commissioned? Are you able to use all of that in the civil case? We are. Um, so 18 months later, right through our civil discovery process, we obtained Corey Foster's cell phone records. All right. (laughs) These cell phone records show, the only timeline, the only plausible timeline that makes any sense is that, so just just give you a little, little background, um, Corey Foster places a phone call 
to a 903 number. Uh, 903 number is just a just a local number here. That's our area code. Okay, places a phone call 31 seconds before he dials 911. Okay, he told the trooper, and it was on body camera. Trooper asked him, Tree Falcon, he'd asked him, what did you do once you realized that you hit something or hit hit them? He said, I slowed down, which again, he did not slam on his brakes. There, there was, was no tire marks, uh, nor did um, the recorder in his, in his truck, you know, the little black box, uh, it, it didn't record a rapid deceleration. So he hit us. He, he thought he hit a telephone pole. He hit us, came to a rolling stop, got out, made those statements to me, and then dialed 911. All right. From his mailbox to the point of impact, if you're driving 30 miles an hour, is roughly 38 seconds. So there's it's impossible that he dialed the number when he was leaving his driveway, correct? Because it was placed at 31 seconds. Okay. Um, the only plausible timeline is that as he was dialing the number, okay, that's when he veered over the roadway, hit us as he was placing the, the call, correct? Um, placed the call, still had his phone in his hand, got out of his truck and had enough time to make those statements to me. And as I'm crawling over to Katie, he was hearing me yell, somebody call the cops, somebody call the police. He had his phone in his hand, okay? That phone call was active for 29 seconds. So it, it um, and I'm going to get the times wrong, it, it rang for 24 seconds and then went to voicemail for five, okay? So it was 29 seconds. He looked down, saw what happened, hit in, dialed 911, and then hit, hit send. Were you able to recover that voicemail? Uh, no, because it was only for, for five seconds. So I, I doubt that there, there was any, um, uh, message that was left and he dialed, if I remember correctly, uh, I believe it was a home, homeland landline. So, um, there, there was no voice voicemail at all. Um, and I don't know if it went to an answering machine or not, but, uh, that we, could couldn't recover anything from from the voicemail and it was only five seconds so I'm, I'm sure it didn't even make it past the initial greeting right um so we put together this timeline and we had the phone records and we gave that back to the grayson county district attorney's office 18 months later after they told us that they were going to get these records well they didn't so we submitted them and we waited and uh, there was some back and forth I had posed the, the question of why hadn't these records been requested already. And um, the Grayson County District Attorney's Office put the blame on me and said, I, I was the reason why that, uh, you know, I wanted this to go to a grand jury quickly. And uh, they just didn't have time. Even though after the first grand jury, they stated numerous times that they would request the records and, and view them. They didn't. So... <clears throat> Grayson County District Attorney's Office has these these records. I get a phone call. Um, I believe it was on a Monday at um, four thirty p.m. from Carrie Ashmore, and um, our family and the Grayson County District Attorney's Office have no relationship at all. Okay, calls me, tells me he's going to take the records in front of the grand jury the following morning, and I said, I mean. That caught me off guard, right? So I said, great. Do I need to be there to testify? He said, no. He said, we're just going to present these records to the grand jury. And, um, you know, if they want anything else, then uh, then we'll give it to them. And then um, he got off the phone quick. And the more I started to think about that, the more that didn't add up. This was a brand new grand jury, right? Why wasn't I allowed to testify in front of a brand new grand, grand jury? Um, you know, was all the evidence going to be presented? Everything that was presented at the first grand jury, was that going to be presented as well as the cell phone records and as well as that third party report? Um, it's, it's, it's also odd because you are you were involved in it. 
It's not that you're the husband testifying. I'm the witness. Who was at home. <laughs> you're the yeah. witness. You were right there when it happened because you were also struck by the same vehicle. Exactly. That's what's so staggering to me. And so. Is there's I, no, these loopholes that you could find. Oh, well, yeah, yeah you, you watched it across the street or like, even if they think if, which is still a witness, you could, <laughs> it's staggering. Well, but I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, no, no. So, so I, I tried to contact Kerry Ash Morgan, called him three, four times. Uh, he wouldn't take my my call. Um, and then I um, had to take. I, I had his number from the first grand jury and sent him a text message, and um, wanted to know what what was going to happen. Um, he wouldn't elaborate on what he was going to do um, with the grand jury. Just said every, everything I told you. Um, in our conversation is exactly what I'm going to do, um, which I, I have zero faith in that that office. So I texted him and requested that if he's not going to allow me to testify, he's not going to have the experts back in. And if he can't guarantee me that um, all the evidence is going to be shown, i.e. everything from the first grand jury, the um, report, from the uh, company that did the recreation and the phone records. And it's going to be presented in front of a full grand jury, not, you know, 10 people. Then I don't want this going in front of the grand jury. I, I would rather you wait. Um, wouldn't return my text message, nothing. And um, I called that office next morning, left a message, probably about 630, said that Rhonda, Katie's mom, and I would be up there, at 7.45, wanted to speak to Brett Smith about what the hell was going on. Uh, we showed up there, requested to speak to Carrie and Brett. They wouldn't take our meeting. And then 45 minutes later, Carrie Ashworth comes walking out and says, well, it's in the hands of the grand jury now. So he took the other half of the evidence, right, and presented that in front of the grand jury without any testimony, without anything. And um, he knew what he was doing. Um, grand jury <clears throat> decided not to move forward with the phone records. And after that happened, um, I had the man that had <laughs> um, failed our family twice, Carrie Ashmore, right? Standing right in front of me. And when he came back and said, Grand jury is not going to move for forward. Um, I let 18 months of frustration come out. And um, I was loud. And I was profane. I was vulgar um, and, uh, and emotional and got my point across. And it emptied out the whole sheriff's office. Uh, they, they came out into the hallway and Kerry Ashmore ran back into his office. Again, that was the second time that that office had uh, failed us. Failed us. And then we, we come to realize that um, that district attorney, Brett Smith, when he was in private practice before working for the DA's office, actually represented the foster family in a DWI uh, case. So the foster family was a um, former client of Brett Smith. That, that was never revealed to us at all. Uh, which is alarming. And then, um, you know, since then, we have filed complaints against um, the trooper, Sharif Al-Khatib, uh, for, for his actions that, that day um, by not doing his job and the way he conducted himself on, on scene. Um, Brett Smith told us that, um, I think, I think I said this before that, you know, missteps were made and Tarif did a bad job, right? Uh, should have gotten blood. Don't know why he, he didn't get blood, but it was it was bad. The report was awful. And this is what I'm stuck with, right? Pointed, pointed, pointed the finger at, at, at law enforcement. And then um, through the Internal Affairs Department, which is the Office of the Inspector General through DPS, they went to interview Brett Smith who we come to realize is also related to Tarif Al-Khatib as well, small, small town, Texas, right? Um, they asked him, um, 
if Tarif's actions had hindered the prosecution of Corey Foster and uh, Brett Smith told him that uh, Tarif Al-Khatib um, did a fine, fine job. And then, uh, so we've got a DA that um, tells victims and their family one thing and then tells a state investigator something completely different. And then after he tells that state investigator that, um, roughly two months later, he calls Rhonda Nail, Katie's mom, and um, goes back on Tarif and says that, uh, you know, Tarif screwed up that day. Uh, he should have gotten blood. So this is just in, um, I guess, just a shining example of um, failure, you know, failure in our system here in Grayson County and our justice system um, from the very basic level as the investigating officer um, all the way up to the district attorney. So. And so you put a law into effect now. What is that law? We did. So there's a law. And it is uh, Colton's law. So Colton Carney was a young man that was going to work one day and his car broke down alongside the highway. Um, He called his dad, let his dad know. And his dad said, stay where you're at. I'm 45 minutes, an hour away. I'll come to you. Just stay in your, your car. Uh, Colton didn't want to be late to work. All right. Colton started walking to work, was walking alongside the highway and a truck, um, hit Colton and killed him instantly. Their family was as devastated as ours and they wanted answers. Um, they reached out to the police department and asked if, um, the man that, hit and killed their son, uh, had been tested for alcohol or drugs. And, um, the police department's response was no, it was like, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. No one's drunk at seven o'clock in the morning. Right. Uh, yeah. that family was angered by that. I mean, that's, it's crazy. It's crazy that law enforcement would make such a blanket statement like that. So the mom, Michelle Carney, who is an amazing woman, uh, strong, uh, so dedicated to her son and so dedicated to um, making sure that what happened to her and her family doesn't happen to anybody else. uh, She wasn't going to take that line down. She didn't like that answer. So she drafted a law, right? She sat down, drafted it, and reached out to every single um, representative, every single state representative in Texas, right? You know, there's over 150. There's 150 to 155. Emailed every single one, kept at it, and only one representative uh, responded to her, and that was Representative Terry Mesa who is just a fantastic human being. And she just got reelected. Thank God. Um, she took the time to answer Miss Carney's email, read what she wanted to do and said, absolutely. You know, I will do everything I can, um, to help you get this law passed. And so we had created this justice for Katie Palmer page, right? Mm. And, Somebody from Terry Mays' staff had reached out to us and said, hey, there's another family that has gone through a similar um, tragedy like you all, and they're trying to get this bill passed. Is this something that you guys would be interested in? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we got all of our friends, all of our family, and our community rallied around this bill, okay, which is now known as Colton's Law. And um, we got it passed, collective effort between our family, our community, um, everybody on the Justice for Katie Palmer page, and the Carneys, and um, got it passed in one session. Oh, that's and amazing. we we made numerous that's trips incredible. to 
to Austin, Texas. We even rented a bus, had people loaded up in a bus, went down there, um, lobbied for this bill. Um, I know that uh, Mr. Miss Carney testified in front of the Public Safety and Homeland Security Committee, as well as Rhonda, Katie's mom, and myself testified in support of this bill. It gained bipartisan su support, both in uh, the Texas House and the Texas Senate, and was passed. And the spirit of that law is that um, any motorist that hits a pedestrian and either causes serious bodily injury or death um, shall be taken in for. That's a common sense law that um, I think if that had been around when um, Katie and I were hit, um, wouldn't have changed anything, but um, I think it absolutely would have left us with answers and not questions and wouldn't have left us in a uh, continual fight for justice. And so, again, going back to what we talked about, um, we saw an opportunity to create positive change, and um, that's what we did. And we, we hope that if this happens to another family, and, you know, again, we're, we're not going to be able to stop um, reckless driving or impaired driving. Un unfortunately, um, that's going to continue to to happen. Um, wish to God we could pass a law that would prevent that, but um, that's just that's just not a reality right right now. Um, but if this does happen to another family, um, you know we don't want them to go through the emptiness and the helplessness and the anger that we went through. Um, we want there to be accountability, and that's what we've been fighting for. And uh, this this law was a perfect demonstration of, um, you know, citizens coming together, seeing an issue, rallying behind it from a grassroots level, letting our lawmakers know that we're not going to stand for this. There needs to be change. Our lawmakers listening to us, passing this leg legislation that, um, again, is just one step closer to accountability. And we're very, very thankful. We are. That's amazing. And I feel we could talk about this for hours and stuff. Um, John, what is who was... Yeah, oh, sorry. Go you ahead, just Tara. Go. You just go. I was just going to say, um, John, you, know, you, were, you were saying earlier about some things that you and Katie did together. What were some of those moments that you guys shared? Like, who was Katie? Katie was exceptional. Uh, Katie was a lover of science and nature. You know, she, like I said before, she, she taught middle school science. Um, and I think in order to be a good teacher, you, you have to want to learn. Um, she was fascinated by, by science, loved being outdoors, loved teaching. Uh, she loved the kids that she, she taught. And for as much as, for as good of a teacher as she was, she was teacher of the year at her campus two, two or three times. For as good of a teacher as she was, being a mom, she always told me being a mom was her most important job. She loved Bella and Brandon. Um, there wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't a decision that she made where, Bella and Brandon weren't the main focus. Great mom. Great mom. She was my wife, but she was my friend. She was uh, she was my soulmate. No, you asked me to uh, speak 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 about her. Um, and I'm not trying to try to make this about me, but um, you know, when you connect with somebody on a level and they get you. That's awesome. She was, um, I just love that. And I think that's a really incredible thing. And not everybody finds that in this life, you know, I'm so. lucky. I am 
And I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Oh, you're good. Um, even, even though we've gone through um, what we've gone through, you know, um, with, with Katie being taken from us um, the way that she was, man, I consider myself a lucky guy. Uh, I got to be with her for almost 20 years. And uh, like I said this many times, you know, our tw 20 years uh, is better than some people, you know, having 50. Um, consider myself lucky to have um, known her, for her to have been my friend, to have loved her, <clears throat> and to have um, started a family with her. And, um, you know, I'm... I'm blessed with Bella and Brandon. Um, but going, going back to her, you know, she, she loved being a mom. Um, she loved her parents. Her mom was her, her best friend, much like um, my daughter's best friend was Katie. Um, spoke to Rhonda and Tony, her dad, every single day. There wasn't a day that went by where um, Katie wasn't running around with her mom. Um, very family-centric. Um, loved to travel. Loved, loved to be outdoors. Um, man, she, she just loved life. One thing that I, that I miss about her is, um, man, she, she had this laugh, right? Uh <laughs> Man, she had a laugh. Uh, she had a super loud laugh. And, um, I mean, it would fill up a room, man. And if I was meeting her someplace, if we were going to go out to eat or something like that with friends, um, I could walk into the, to the restaurant and just wait and hear that loud laugh and know exactly where she was. Well, that's so beautiful. Yeah. I think that's what I for sharing that. Yeah. I you know. She was um she 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 was amazing. She was. I love that. <clears throat> so what is the call to action today? What do you want people to support you with? Um we would just love to support you in any way possible. Absolutely. So we have uh posted some some uh call to actions on our Justice for Katie Palmer uh Facebook group page. Um, we posted one, uh, that was a request. Uh, one was for Brett Smith, um, was having everybody reach out to Brett, Brett Smith and ask him to step down, um, as DA, uh, the most recent, uh, request that we have put up there. We've released the, uh, director of Texas Department of Public Safety, Director McCraw. We've released his email address. And um, also um, the Office of the Inspector General, the, the Inspector General, we released his email address also. We've asked that everybody uh, review everything that we've put on that page and uh, email uh, both Director McGraw and the um, Inspector General and request that uh, Tariq Al-Khatib um, be fired immediately um, for what he did and for what he didn't do on April 21st, 2020. Um, Brett Smith is gonna be running for re-election. Um, he'll be probably announcing uh, next year um, his intentions to run again for uh, DA of Grayson County. Um, We're going to be very vocal and um, <laughs> obviously very much in opposition of Brett Smith uh, being DA. And we're going to have more call call to actions <clears throat> on our Facebook group page. Decides to run run again. We're going to be vocal. We're going to be loud, and we're going to demand that um, uh, Brett Smith step down. Brett Smith uh, not run. And if he does run, then uh, we're going to be um, very much in support of whomever uh, runs against Brett. So we would hope that we get as much support as possible on that to make sure that again <clears throat> we keep doing what what we're doing um which is uh creating positive change in grayson county and i think that if brett smith is no longer the district attorney of grayson county then i think that that's 
very positive. And um, that's a change that we're going to be fighting for. I have a hard time arguing with you on that one. I would like to see someone um, be, you know, step down from the DA. So I'll support this. <laughs> John, this is ultimately, you know, what you're doing for the memory of, of your wife, Katie, mother of your children. Um, and the legacy that you're going to leave behind, you know, it will never bring her back, but it definitely... It definitely adds a purpose to it. It, it. The lives that you can touch and change because of this is just extraordinary. And um, I can, from someone who's been an advocate for my mother and try to enact as much change as I could, you know, and and Tara as well. Like it, it it's it's a hard road to hoe, but it is um, it's well worth it, and. Um, I just commend you for that. I mean, look, we're all part of this uh, this squad, this survivor squad, but none of us want to be a part of it. But here we are. Thank you for your time today. Thank you both so much. What you guys are doing is very important. Um, thank you for spending the time and allowing me onto your platform to tell my story to tell Katie's story and um, to let me advocate, pardon me, to let me advocate for uh, justice for Katie. Thank you guys so much. And again, what you guys are doing is so important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then just one last thing, where can we find you on social media and whatnot? Um, so again, we have the justice for Katie Palmer group page on Facebook and uh, Twitter is going to be um, at Palmer John David. And then also at four F O U R underscore Palmer. And that last one is going to be um, uh, one of Katie's cousins handles the justice for Katie Palmer Twitter page. So perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, and please, everyone, please support. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, every time we, we tell this story, um, you know, it, it gets in front of more people, um, you know, just another set of eyes and another set of ears. And we want to make sure that everybody knows that if you're fighting for something, regardless, uh, you know, who you're fighting against or who you're fighting for, it's okay to stand up. It's okay to, uh, to fight, you know, whether it's the Texas department of public safety or it's the local DA. Um, if there's some, something not right, um, unless you stand up, and you voice it and you fight it, it's not going to change. And not only is it not going to change for you, but it's not going to change for that next family or that next victim or that next person that doesn't have a voice. So I, I just think that we owe it to not only our, ourselves, but everybody else. I think it's a great thing how we were able to talk and be so vulnerable about something that's so horrible, and I'm so appreciative of John just showing his vulnerability. And we talked before about toxic masculinity, how it's not okay for most men to quote unquote cry. And, you know, you're a man. You can relate to this more than I can. But I, I love- I cry all the time. Yeah. I'm a crier. I cry in movies. I cry when I see something beautiful. Uh, like, I'm just so into all of it. I just- I'm terrible. I just, I get really, really emotional with stuff for sure. I'm not afraid of my emotions. Yes. And I think all men need to be like that. Right, Colleen? I don't think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, I know that there's a whole faction of men in this country that are like, you shouldn't be any, any stereotypical sort of masculinity thing is like, you can't cry. And I remember my mom saying to me when I was a child, you know, that I needed to be strong for my grandfather, my pop-up, who was her father when my, at my grandmother's funeral, she's like, you need to, don't cry. You need to be strong for pop-up. So there is a sense of this, like growing up, you know, it's anachronistic at this point, but it's some, one of those things where, you know, men being vulnerable has sort of always been, I don't know if shamed is the right word, but maybe looked down upon or, 
not been as accepted by society. And I think that's just ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I just love because now he's able to talk about Katie and people are able to hear about her and get to know her and get to know what happened to her. And it's so unfortunate and it's so unfortunate that there's not justice yet. Yeah, I found this episode to be, I mean, we've interviewed a lot of people in this program and we will continue to do so. And I've interviewed a lot of people over my lifetime. Um, this is one of the more heartbreaking interviews for certain. He just, um, I really feel for the guy and the family and just, um, you know, we're really hoping that he gets justice for Katie and for her memory. And um, we will have links to all of uh, all of Katie's uh, socials and um, and all of the fundraisers and, um, you know, that he's doing and and the Facebook pages for people to advocate on her behalf to get justice and for her and the family. So um, those will be in the show notes of today's episode. Yes. And, you know, be sure be sure to check out that Facebook page because they need that support and they need awareness towards the story. And, you know, if you have a podcast, you know, have them on as well. We encourage people to do that because they need to spread the awareness. Absolutely. Absolutely. On that note, survivors, I'm Tara Newell. And I'm Collier Landry. And this is the Survivor Squad podcast. We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad.